We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. To be honest, I would put myself in the same category as D-Wade. Now Artest is jumped over the scorer's table. Artest is in the stands. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. It is Wednesday, April 24th. Jan Vesely turns 29 today, uh, the former number six overall pick in the 2011 NBA draft. Uh, he was a part, of course, of that that incredible run of picks six, seven, and eight. Jan Vesely, Bismack Bayambo, and Brandon Knight. Oof. Oof. Yes, yikes. But uh, we should probably talk about Damian Lillard right away. I think we're going to be probably the only podcast that's going to be discussing this today. Did you stay up to watch the end of this game live last night? I did. I was working, actually. Oh, yeah, that's so right. kind of contractually obligated to watch mm-hmm. the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was incredible. Like once it seemed like OKC had everything wrapped up, like maybe five minutes left. Uh, and then things kind of just started turning the other way again. I mean, Paul George missed two Violently. free throws. Yeah, down the stretch. Yeah, well, so you're right. So they were, I don't know if it was exactly five minutes, but somewhere between like three and a half, five and a half minutes, OKC went on... 
you know, a 30 to six run and was up by 15 and things very quickly unraveled from there. Um, but even watching live, like you watch Portland kind of whittle away at that lead and OKC really kind of give it away with, with some of the stuff that you mentioned. I'm, I'm trying to pull up a tweet. I think it was Ben Golliver um, actually broke down possession by possession how OKC just gave this game away at the end. But, oh, you know, it, it results in a tie game with about 11 seconds left. Lillard just bringing the ball up. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear that he wasn't going to go to the rim at all. Like he made no, you know, he waved off the screen. He didn't even take a step toward the rim at any point, ends up stepping back. We know he hits the shot, but watching it live, were you thinking he's going to make this, you know, this is not going to overtime the way that he'd been playing throughout that game? I had no idea because I, the only thing I actually remember was, I mean, he's walking up the court with it, kind of hanging in the half court and he's kind of just like walking back and forth. And I'm like, I, I remember looking down at the shot or at the time remaining and there was 2.7 seconds left. And I'm like, he's got to shoot this. Right. And then he, as soon as I looked at the clock, he did a step back and he shot it. I didn't even have time to react. I was like, this is insane. Um, and, but I was, I mean, I was, I mean, he had been so hot, but I wasn't expecting him to make it. I was just shocked that he took it. I didn't even, I didn't know what to think. Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it was pretty clear, you know, from the start in retrospect, but especially when you start looking at the clock and it's like four seconds, three seconds, he still hasn't really even right. gone into a shot motion. And you can see, I think he released it with like 1.4 which is a decent amount of time, um, but it was such a long shot, and he put so much arc on it. He kind of had to short arm it, um, you know, because Paul George was right there. And, he and was. PG, yeah. He's kind of caught some flack for what he said in the post game, you know, about it being a bad shot, uh, which you know for most players in the NBA is true. But you know, with the way that Lillard has, has played both last night and through the last season or two, we've seen him hit shots like this. Um, but in order to get it, you know, over Paul George, he kind of had to short arm it and put a ton of arc on it. Right. Um, and one thing I was telling, you know, Chris and Jeff on the radio this morning was part of what, you know, I think makes this, you know, obviously it's an all time NBA shot, but like arguably the coolest, you know, maybe not the most impactful. It's the first round. It's game five. It's not the finals, whatever. Like one of the all time coolest game winners is it was a true buzzer beater, you know, so often in the NBA and even in college now, uh, you know, we, we kind of like over replay everything. And if a shot goes through, even in real time, if it looks like it's a buzzer beater, you know, all of a sudden players are flooding the court, fans are going nuts, wi- officials are rushing in, blowing the whistle, yeah. spending five <laughs> minutes reviewing it, putting 0.2 seconds left on the clock, making everybody run back out there just so the other team can basically deflect the ball towards the rim and have no shot at a win. So like, it was a, it was a true walk off in every way. There was mm-hmm. no doubt that it was in the air, you know, when the red lights went off um and everything i mean everything about the reaction i'm sure you you were on twitter afterwards was yeah. perfect the wave the dog pile with lillard just kind of stoically you know looking at the camera there was an angle that caught seth curry you could kind of see him chatting with the okc bench you know as lillard is just dribbling up there with paul george on him seth curry's in the corner you know presumably in position to, to receive a pass right. not even looking like he's turned around i think talking to raymond felton <laughs> and obviously you can't hear what he's saying and you can't read slips because he's turned around but it's pretty clear that he's saying something to the effect of he's about to end this game. You guys are about to be done. And as soon as Lillard puts the shot up, you can see Curry kind of turn around, say something. Um, and then when it goes through, of course, you know, he kind of gives OKC a look and then, and then ran off to celebrate, but incredible series. Um, going back to that, that Ben Golliver tweet that I mentioned. So Blazers closed on a 13 to two run uh, in the final three minutes and eight seconds of this game. So they, they outscore OKC by 11 in that span. They obviously win the game by three, OKC's final eight possessions in order. Dennis Schroeder missed three. 
if I remember correctly, that was a decent look. You know, not a, it was. He had been making some shots too. So, yeah. I think it was wide open, if I remember. Um, I think they had over pursued, and he was he was wide open on the left wing. Uh, Westbrook missed jumper. Paul George missed two free throws, which right. I'm sure you, that was kind of the the big. You know, other than the Westbrook charge on the next possession, the two free throws. You know, you at, was, at the end, it was kind of a questionable call too, right? I think I remember, yes. and so it was just like a big ball don't lie moment, right? Well, um, it, to me, it felt like you know it was it was a a call in favor of OKC, and you're like, wow, okay, this is what's going to stop the run. He'll hit both of these, and then maybe not put it out of reach, but you know, with the amount of time that was left at that point, you just didn't really feel like there was enough for for Portland to get back into it, right? Uh, um, yeah, go ahead. So Westbrook charge on the next possession, no doubt, that was the one where. He, I don't even think he was being guarded by Lillard, but Lillard was the one who took the charge. He slid could, over. Yeah, you could kind of see on the replay. He was standing there. I mean, Westbrook bowled him right over. And mm-hmm. even if Lillard wasn't there, I don't know what that was going to turn into. Like, Russ was not in a position to get a good shot off or make a good pass. I mean, he was just out of control. Yeah, he was just yeah driving towards the rim. I think maybe it was Seth Curry on him. I can't quite remember. Yeah, Lillard was not the primary guy, but it was a smart play and honestly a pretty risky play. To, to make that you know we've, we've seen oh yeah that could easily go the wrong way like it was yeah. the right call but you, you know it wouldn't have been that insane for it to be whistled the other way no uh so westbrook charge grant jeremy grant misses a shot i don't really remember what that was probably shouldn't have been shooting paul george turnover that was when he just got stripped trying yeah. to cross over ended up falling and you know in the moment it looked like maybe a foul but as seeing the replay it was not i mean just careless ball handling which has kind of been an issue for him all throughout the playoffs uh george ends up hitting a, a mid-ranger that's for their only two points during that span and then the final possession was westbrook you know flying into a crowd with with time on the shot clock right uh essentially a turnover i mean it'll go down as a missed layup but basically a turnover which set up the lillard shot yeah and it was i think it, the weird thing that i mean looking back and i guess even in the moment it was surprising that they weren't just giving the ball to Paul George more because he started off the game so hot. I think he made his first four or five shots, something like that. Um, just doing a lot of work from the elbow. And, you know, I understand you're a lot of teams don't want to play not to lose. And they're like, well, if we just give Paul George the ball to elbow and make him eat 20 seconds of shot clock, we're playing not to lose. But he was so hot, like in the early portions of the game, it was just surprising. They didn't go to him more down the stretch. I, I did think Westbrook deferred a little bit, uh, especially earlier in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Paul George was a big part of the reason they went on that run, and, and Westbrook too, to his credit. Like Westbrook is gonna, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but he kind of comes out of this as the big loser, I think. Um, uh, yeah. Other than the Thunder themselves, I mean, he his reputation, I think, has taken quite a hit uh, in the last two weeks alone. Um, but he, I mean, he had a really, really good second half for the most part until the end you know some mm. of the careless plays but he you know hit some big threes had some big layups to to really give them that 15 point lead uh, but towards the end and we've seen this in other games too like he he doesn't quite trust himself i think and then he feels forced to trust himself and that's what leads to to some of those those errant um you know attempts at the rim but paul george other than the than the missed free throws and that late turnover 36 points on 14 of 20 three of eight from three five of eight at the line nine rebounds three assists his best game of the playoffs easily and and i think the game that he looked the most healthy there was really not there was no point where you saw him kind of grabbing the shoulder or working on the shoulder like he had been uh at the end of the regular season and even earlier in this series um but i got eh, do you want to start with lillard or westbrook just honing in a little more specifically uh we can start with westbrook just get out of the way okay Uh, (laughs) i mean yeah he had a westbrook had an okay game like you like you mentioned you know he was solid 
at <laughs> portions. It's hard to. I feel like I have to hedge everything. Right. And talking about Westbrook. Um, but this is, you know, this is basically the third year in a row um, where I don't. Has he not won a road playoff game in three years or just one? I can't quite um, remember. Well, I mean, since Durant left, they are. What do they have? Three playoff wins? Yeah, Four? I think so. Um, yeah, so it just hasn't been good overall. And this is the third year in a row. You know, he's shooting under 40% in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, this, he shot 32% from three. His assist to turnover ratio is basically like two. Um, and it's just, it, it just seems like teams are game planning for him or he gets in his own head and can't execute. He just launches shots up from three, not getting to the free throw line like he used to. Um, so I don't, I mean, I just don't know what the Thunder do about this. I don't know how Westbrook, I, I, you can't, I don't really imagine Westbrook changing his game that much. I mean, it's clear he wants to be a good three point shooter. It's not like he die. I, it's not like he doesn't practice it. I just, it's not working out. Yeah, I, it was, I mean, I, I said on the radio this morning that this kind of felt like the, the public referendum series on Westbrook where I think people who follow the league really closely and dive into the numbers and you know kind of kind of take every single game into account what we're seeing people have kind of been on this for a while you know that Westbrook overrated I guess is the right word um you know I think you you hear so many people you know who are who are involved in the 2016-17 MVP discussion say they basically regret voting for Westbrook like that MVP has not aged well which is you know, and kind of insane to say when you look at the numbers, um, but this felt like you know now the the average NBA fan is maybe starting to see what you know guys who have been diving into the numbers on Westbrook have been saying for a year or two now. Um, and when you have a game, you know, we're saying he had an okay game last night. He went eleven of thirty from the field. I mean, he missed yeah. more shots by himself, I think, than the rest of the Thunder team did combined. And if that's what now qualifies as like a pretty good game. Um, it kind of makes you wonder, like, where does he? That would not be a good game for Steph Curry, right? That would not no. be a good game for Damian Lillard. It would not be a good game for LeBron or Durant or even Paul George. Um, but that's kind of how we've come to judge him now, I guess. Where you just, you just in a playoff game, you're basically assuming he's not going to shoot forty to forty five percent from the field. I mean, in the sixteen playoff games now without Kevin Durant, he's shot better than forty percent from the field in six of those, and has not shot better than fifty percent from the field in any of those games. That's wild. It's wild, right? And I think if you pulled, you know, if you pulled a hundred random people who say, you know, I'm a casual NBA fan, I like the NBA, would they say Russell Westbrook is for sure a top ten player? Like, I think most so. of them yeah. would say yes, and some of them would probably list him in the top five. You know, I, I think he's, you know, he's kind of been passed up in some ways by guys like Harden and, and even Damian Lillard, you know, taking their games to another level. But at the same time, you know, he's kind of fallen off in some ways that are becoming really tough to ignore. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of those things is his, his, you know, I mean, he's he is 30 years old now. So, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't seem like his athleticism is declining because he's still so explosive. He's, he's an amazing athlete in transition. He's still great. But his free throw attempts have been kind of trending downward. I mean, he won MVP, when he won MVP, he was taking 10 free throws a game. Mm-hmm. Then next season, it was down to 7.1. This year was 6.2 free throws a game. Well, look at the percentage, too. Yeah, and he's only shooting... Yeah, 66% from the free throw line this year. And when you think of Westbrook, you think of a guy like that guy should go to the line like 10 times a game, at least. He should be getting fouled as much as James Hargan or Giannis or anybody like that. But it's just not happening. And when he gets there, he doesn't make them. And um, I mean, we I, 
you know, you you have this in the outline here, but like Paul George having signed this, you know, extension with OKC and now in the middle of he was having he was a he could have had maybe the best game of his playoff career. And that just got completely I mean taken over by Westbrook um late in the game and it's just how, how much fun can you have playing with Russell Westbrook, I think that's a question that people often ask. I really, don't I think, think that's I would. a very fair question. Although you never really hear any, like all of his teammates seem to love him. Like when things are going well, right. like when Westbrook is hitting, you know, he, he had a big three, I think, in the third quarter, right in front of the Thunder bench. Um, and you know, he turned around to celebrate, and every single player on the bench is up and cheering. You know, you don't right. always see that. Like I, w- I went back last night and watched somebody mentioned how you know a game winner that Kobe had in Portland back in the day i don't even i couldn't even find what year it was the video was so old uh somewhere in the 2000s and kobe hits this ridiculous game tying three to send the game into overtime and like two of his teammates mildly celebrated no one else (laughs) had any reaction at all like russ for whatever reason like even though he's a dick to the media a dick to other players like opponents seem to hate him i mean you could tell like there's chris haynes had an article uh on yahoo today that's worth reading that had some kind of behind the scenes stuff on on dame versus russ Dame does not like him. The Blazers do not like him. Half the league right. doesn't like him. But if you're playing with the guy, it, other than Kevin Durant, everyone seems to like him. Like, there's a reason Paul, like, this happened last year, too, and Paul George knowingly re signed right. a multi year extension. So, I, you know, there's got, there's something behind the scenes that, that must be endearing about Westbrook. But, and when you look at the numbers, if you're the Thunder right now, um, you know, not only do you have Westbrook locked up on what's all of a sudden, you know, starting to look like one of the worst contracts in the league. I, I think a podcast I was listening to this morning ranked it only behind John Wall, which is insane <laughs> for a guy who won the MVP two years ago, hasn't been hurt. Like you said, I don't. I, I agree that he's not declined athletically almost at all, uh, which is crazy for how how good of an athlete he is. But you have him locked up now, thirty-eight million, forty million, and then I believe a forty-six million dollar player option for the final year. Yeah. Uh, which you would think going into his age 34 season at that time, he will probably pick up. Um, you know, you have Paul George locked up for two more years, which is great. I mean, he's he's not going anywhere soon. I think once he once that shoulder is back, you feel really good about that. But Steven Adams at 26 million uh, next year and then 28 million the year after. Dennis Schroeder at 16 and then 16. Andre Robertson, who hasn't played in what feels like a year and a half. You know, he's still under contract for 11 million next year. Who knows what you get out of him? There's just not a lot of wiggle room here. Like the guys coming off the books are Raymond Felton, Alex Abrinas, Patrick Patterson. You know, you can replace those players with with upgrades, but you have to, you know, you you have to really set your sights pretty low on on the type of you know moves that you can make this summer. And it, it they're in a bad spot. Um, they're still going to be good, you know, with Westbrook and George, but I don't know how you raise your ceiling when when this is your core going forward. I mean, I've heard some people like toss around the idea of trying to trade Stephen Adams, but who's taking Stephen Adams? Like who? I mean, he's he's not really a skilled big man. Like he's a big body. He sets amazing screens. Obviously, like we, I you know I haven't checked. He's probably one of the league leaders in screen assists. Right. But what are you getting back for that? Uh, I think it, anyone any team in the league would want Stephen Adams for half of the price, not for twenty six million dollars. Oh, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know I mean to his credit that he's he was worth that money. I think at the time it's not like people thought that was a ridiculous extension. Um, you know, and it speaks to just how much the center position kind of continues to rapidly change where someone like Steven Adams, who, I mean, earlier this season, we were talking about how, you know, how everyone would like to play with him, how valuable he is. His value has taken a, a pretty big hit in these playoffs, especially with the Blazers not having Nurkic and him being as ineffective as he was. I mean, that was the big concern, right? Was 
Steven Adams is going to eat and his canter and eat, right. uh, you know, Zach Collins, these guys alive. And it was kind of the opposite in a lot of ways. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, uh, not looking great for the thunder necessarily. I mean, they'll, they'll keep making the playoffs. Yeah. Like, I mean, as long as Westbrook stays healthy, I don't, I don't think it'll be that bad, you know, to call it, you know, money wise, it's, it's definitely not a good contract. There's no debating that if you're, if your one goal is how can we win the title in the next three years, having that Westbrook contract on the books is not great. And right. obviously the Thunder want to win the title, but I, I think staying really relevant and just kind of repeating what they've done these last couple of years isn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, if you're a Thunder fan, that probably sounds pretty depressing, but <laughs> like I would rather do that than do what Detroit is going to do or Charlotte or half the teams, you know, lower than them in the Western Conference. Like it's not, as long as Westbrook stays healthy, I don't think it'll be a disaster. But at the same time, like I don't, there's he's showing us nothing to to lead you to believe that he'll come back next year and all of a sudden he'll be back to being an 85 percent free throw shooter he'll work on his three-point shooting like his his three-point percentage has declined each of the last three years and he's taking more attempts as as it's declined you know right. like he hasn't his you know his skill set is kind of diminished but he hasn't adapted his game to that and he to me he doesn't strike me as the type of guy who would become this late career you know jason kidd type of shooter that's really only happened a few times like jason kidd is the guy who always gets brought up because not many guys do that and i I don't think westbrook is is anywhere close to kind of accepting you know the next phase of his career no no i don't think so yeah and and maybe he shouldn't be i mean he is only he is only 30 right now i mean kidd didn't really become a, a much better shooter until later on um well let's switch to dame then 50 points 10 threes one of the best game winners in an NBA history playoffs or otherwise. Um, did you think this was significantly better than the shot in 2014? Yeah, I thought so too. I mean, that, that was a crazy shot at the it time, was, yeah. mostly because Lillard, I think that kind of ascended him from, you know, good young player to star. Whereas this one probably takes him from star to like legitimate superstar. Yeah, I think so. Or just the series overall, this game overall. And really it's not fair to just say that shot. Uh, but right now, if you if you had to rank the best players in the league, where does where does Lillard fall? You know, maybe not an exact number, but in what range? I mean, he's top fifteen for sure. If we're going by All NBA standards, I mean, he, he would be second or third team All NBA. He was um, first team last year. Was he really? Due in part to injuries, but yeah. He oh was, yeah, yeah. I okay. mean, he's a lock to be second team, and I think if you did the vote now. Like well, he, would, yeah. he would give he would give Curry a really good run for that other first team spot. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's top fifteen, like without a doubt. Um, probably top ten. I mean, if we're talking about guards, I think he's in the five to ten range. Yeah, well, we can start with guards if you want. Where does where does he rank among guards? I mean, I the guys I wouldn't take him over would be Harden. I, if we call Paul George a guard, I'd probably still take Paul George. Would take Steph Curry over him. The I think I, I, think I cut my list off at Curry and Harden. George is a debate. I think he's in that George. He's closer to Paul George than he is LeBron, Durant, Curry, oh for Davis, sure, Kawhi. Like there's still a gap to me between those guys. Like he's, I think I would put Dame like eighth or ninth on my list. Sure. Maybe as high. You could make as, uh, make a case that he goes as high as seven. I think so too. But I would I would take him over. I think I'd take him over Kyrie Irving. Yes. Uh, obviously over Beal. Drew Holiday, you can maybe convince me because of defense that you want Holiday, but like right. I wouldn't trust Holiday to necessarily. I mean, after what the Pelicans did last year, like obviously that's that's yeah. huge for Drew Holiday's stock. But I think I mean in a vacuum, it's it's Lillard over Holiday 
by a lot for me, but there is an argument to be made that like depending on the supporting cast, you might want a defensive point guard like Holiday. Right. <clears throat> but no, I would I think it's, you know, LeBron, Durant, Curry, not in order. LeBron, Durant, Curry, Harden, Kawhi, Davis, and Giannis. To me, it's hard to make a case that Lillard belongs above any of those guys. And that yeah. speaks to just how good they are. Because, I mean, Lillard is incredible. So I think it, you kind of started at eight. And is he the is he the top is he the top guy of the non MVP tier? Like if we're doing guys yeah. who are top five MVP candidates yeah. per, perennially, is he the top guy just outside of that? Or I mean, some people might have him as their fifth uh, MVP on their mm. ballots this year. Oh, for for this year, yeah. I mean, he could be as high as like three on some ballots, I think. Sure. Um, but then you know, Davis and LeBron are crossed off this year. And That's Kawhi true. Missed so much time and Curry missed time. If you're just saying best players, you know, it's those seven, and then I think. The next tier is PG, Lillard, Embiid, Jokic. Yeah. Am I missing anybody in there? Like, to me, Lillard has ascended uh, like a slight step higher than Kyrie, a slight step, you know, a full step probably higher than Kemba. I mean, Beal was awesome this year. I think he's, Beal's not too far behind, but Lillard is, is clearly better than him. You know, at Towns, it's kind of hard to compare him to, to a guy like yeah. that. But he's, he's in that range to me where knocking on the door, but still would take the under on like will he ever win an mvp in his career i would i would say no you know a lot of, agree, a lot of guys yeah. would I got, you know that that top seven is so strong that you would need you, you'd need a case against every single one of those guys almost for dame to like really be a real a real candidate for an award like that yeah and he's i mean he's 28 so he's right in the middle of his prime or maybe on the early end depending on mm-hmm. you know um some players trend down earlier but so it's not like you know, it's not like he's 25 or 24 and we're like, well, you know, by that time, yeah. some of these top tier guys are going to fall off. Like, you know, he's he's probably got like three more years to potentially win MVP mm-hmm. um, if he was going to do it. So, I mean, I think it's possible. Maybe he finishes top two one year, um, you know, depending on what happens. But yeah, I mean, he's I think I think I would agree that he's may- maybe the top guy outside of that top seven mm-hmm. of like true perennial MVP. Like, yeah, you know like easy best players of all time discussions yeah not quite and i don't know what he can really even do to get up there it's just those guys are just so untouchable you know it's like if lillard just came off one of the best individual series we've seen and i think i don't think either of us are really ready to to put him in that category which is crazy i think he's got to have that steph curry season where he averages like 30 points a game shoots like 40 percent from deep you know maybe six seven eight assists yeah well i think you know, the, the lack of playoff success before this is also an issue. True. I, I think there's a belief that, you know, <clears throat> none of those seven guys we mentioned would ever get swept out of round one by the Pelicans. Right. Uh, and he played really badly in that series. And, you know, it's hard to overlook something like that. Um, but yeah, like he's 28 years old. I, w- I would have guessed he was a little bit older. I guess he's 29 in July, but came into the league at 22. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can imagine if he, you know, most of these guys are coming in at 19 or 20 to be able to tack on two more years, um, yeah. you know, essentially at the beginning of his career would have, would have been interesting to see how that had gone. But um, so I guess looking ahead to the next round, we get Portland versus the winner of Denver and San Antonio. I really thought Denver was going to, uh, was going to lose that series when they went down to one, uh, the, you know, they just looked completely heartless at home. Jamal Murray, you know, kind of saved them in game two and it easily could have been, could have been three Oh Spurs. Uh, but all of a sudden, things have completely shifted. They win last night fairly convincingly. Um, and now San Antonio's backs are, are against the wall tomorrow night. And I, I feel like now, just given the advantage, you know, just 
win one of the next two, uh, whereas San Antonio obviously has to win both. I feel like I've kind of swung back toward Denver, but I, I still don't feel super inspired, especially with how good Portland looked. Yeah, I have to agree. Like, I, w- I was with you. I thought San Antonio was about to take over the series once they were up, but then Jamal Murray remembered how to shoot a basketball, and Jokic got a little more aggressive um, in that first game back in San Antonio. Um and things are really just clicking for them like you thought they would. I mean, if you watch them in the middle of the year, you know, the way their offense runs, everybody can get hot from three. Like they can go on like a, you know, Warriors type run just by hitting a ton of threes. So I think I, I think I'm swinging back more towards the Nuggets as well. I think I mean, I, let's say the Nuggets win. I I think I would actually take them over Portland. Um, but, you know, the the main issue being. I mean, I you, I don't know if you can put Jamal Murray on Damian Lillard. You probably have to put Gary Harris on Damian Lillard. Yeah. And, you yeah, know, they're Jokic. They're going to try a lot of guys. They're going to try a lot of guys. They're going to have Jokic. They're going to have Cantor on Jokic. That's definitely a harder matchup than yes. having that, uh, that Steven Adams. That really scares me, yeah. Yeah, I think that if, if there's one deciding factor for me, I think it's having um, – it's really just having Jokic being guarded by Cantor, or, you yeah. know, some combination of, like, Alfaruk Aminu and Zach Collins or whoever else. Yeah, I mean, Cantor got a lot of easy buckets throughout round one. Just a lot of, even last night, moving guys out of the way, offensive rebound, putbacks. And this was with, I think he had a separated shoulder or something yeah, happened with his shoulder. shoulder. He could barely yeah. move his shoulder and was still making these type of plays, which doesn't exactly reflect well on on Adams and Grant and those guys. But yeah, I mean, Jokic is obviously an infinitely more advanced player offensively. I, I, you're, I think public sentiment is going to be in favor of Portland no matter what. But if Denver comes out and wins handily tomorrow night looks confident you know kind of has that swagger back as a team that was you know top two wire to wire in the western conference that's going to be a really good series but if they come in the shakiness that they showed you know in games one through four really if that happens again you know in round two i I think they could be dead pretty quickly but at the same time i mean this portland team you know not many people were picking portland to beat okc so one series now kind of completely flips that reputation especially with what happened last year um but Portland Denver to me on paper, you know, you stack things up based on how they're both playing. That could be easily a six or seven game series. Yeah, I would. I would definitely take. I yeah, most likely six or seven games. I mean, both both teams have um, obviously like a great amount of top end talent. You know, Denver has more role players that can like get buckets, mm-hmm. so that all, all, you know, obviously gives them an advantage. But it, I mean, it'll be a really exciting series. Like, I'll try to catch every game of that series. It'll be super entertaining. Should be high-paced. Like, lots of scoring. Um, and, yeah. I mean, Lillard's probably going to just keep doing what he's doing. And, I mean, Jokic isn't a great rim protector. So, that he is Lillard not. will probably keep driving yep. to the hole. Um, yeah, it'll be really entertaining. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing would be Denver you know getting one and two at home i think that's big um you know having to go to portland in in that scenario would be would make me feel a little bit differently um you know it would really be tough for me to say yeah i think portland will come out and grab games one and two even as well as they're playing right um and part of it too is like maybe okc just wasn't that good you know i mean i don't i don't it's not like denver is exactly dominating san antonio which which also isn't that good but you know i i just think we got to be careful to not overrate portland now coming out of this that's true like yeah okc yeah, I think they, they, it kind of the favor I think swung towards them by a lot of people who were picking the series because of the Nurkic injury, um, but that somehow overshadowed the fact that Paul George wasn't a hundred percent, 
and you know russ's playoff history and if steven adams was completely healthy i've seen some people say maybe he's not healthy and he can't really i mean they're are they technically a big three like i'm not really sure i don't think i don't think they really fall into that category no we've we've been pretty generous with that term yeah we have um so yeah i think maybe okc was a little overrated um and yeah maybe it'll swing back the other way everyone thinks the momentum's in portland's favor they're better Mm -hmm. than they are and so i'm sure i'm sure the line i mean if we're talking Mm -hmm. you know betting lines i'm sure it'll be really close i don't think you're getting much money either way if you're if you're betting on it so I, i think it's safe to say we're probably getting golden state houston um rockets look surprisingly um you know kind of invincible i guess is that a word invincible if you can be invincible you can be invincible right um i don't know yeah i don't i don't think i've used that word before maybe there's uh wait have you have you not seen the office oh i've seen the office oh what's the one uh mike scott superstitious yeah i'm just a little stitious yeah it's kind of like that invincible Um, is a word according to is it really the uh, the dictionary.com um able to be overcome or conquered so huh Makes sense. Okay, so they looked a little invincible. James Harden had probably his worst game of the entire season. Yeah, I think like even he was surprised in the post game that he was he was over fifteen to start. Eight and, turnovers, four assists. Oh, that was two games ago, actually. Oh, that was but two. Yeah, he he also didn't play well the other night. Yeah. Um, I still think they close it out, you know, without much of a problem at home yeah. tonight. Um, Golden State Houston's going to be really good. Obviously, it it did seem like Golden State blowing that lead in game two. Um, and then subsequently Houston, you know, running through Utah, those first two games and, and even winning game three, like a lot of public support at that point shifted towards Houston. You saw a lot of people who'd been on golden state all year. Um, you know, in my opinion, overreacting to a game that, I mean, yeah, they blew it. They clearly blew the game. It was a 31 point comeback, but it was just, it was just such a carelessness by golden state. Like they didn't, they got outplayed, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything that you look back and like, wow, this is going to be a series now. Like (laughs) they just completely stopped trying for a quarter and a half. What was their urgency? Like, man, if we don't win this game, exactly. And they uh, they just, and clearly they're, you know, they're going to finish it off tonight and it's not going to be a big deal. Um, but it, it felt like that kind of spurred people who are, who really wanted to pick Houston. Like that was kind of the final nails. Like, all right, now, now I feel comfortable doing it. You know I will never do that. I think this Golden State team, even without Cousins, which, again, is insane. Any other team loses a player of that caliber, they're written off. Uh, but for them, people, there's actually a case to be made that they're better, which, again, crazy. Um, I, I think Golden State, you know, it's, it's tough to say they have something to prove, you know, because they did beat Houston last year. But right. if there's any series, the finals included, that they can get up for, I think it's it's going to be this one against Houston. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I think... Yeah, I, I, like you mentioned, the Warriors blowing that game, even though it wouldn't, I mean, it just, I, I think it's not really as relevant as people are making because people all year were just, you know, saying like, oh, the Warriors are, they're vincible. They, you know, they're, they lose concentration, they blow games. Um, and then as soon as just like one thing happens, that's pretty much a complete outlier. Mm-hmm. And they're ready to be like, well, it's Houston's time. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Houston looks better than expected against the Jazz. I think, you know, a lot of people were hoping that the Jazz defensively would put up a, you know, a much stronger fight. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, just, I, I don't know. I'm not that convinced that the Jazz, as a roster, like, are as good as their record usually indicates. They just don't have, like, outside of Donovan Mitchell, who hasn't really been playing that well. Like, he's, Donovan Mitchell still really isn't ready like yeah. to be a st- he's not really a star yet yeah I mean, he he's won- been pretty good to his credit it's just he's been pretty good but yeah. he can't be the only guy you know able to yeah. like create a shot off the dribble i mean when rookie when ricky rubio is like 
your second best player in a series offensively yeah. that is usually not a good sign yeah jay crowder was probably their second best player the other night right no and, you, and that's a cliche that's thrown around is they just don't have enough playmakers like utah really 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 doesn't at right. all like i mean rubio to some degree can get to the hoop he can he can create things but he's not a shot creator for himself no and neither is royce o'neill neither is rudy gobert neither is crowder ingles is like ingles right he's missing like he's yeah and he and there's a case to be made that he's probably their second best at whatever we're talking about right now you know kind of <laughs> going one-on-one -on -one, which is you know not what you want to say the least um yeah and i i think i mean i was i picked houston i think you picked houston as well yeah. um most people did but like i there were i don't think anyone thought houston would come out and you know route them like they did in games one and two and you know looking back it's kind of silly it's like yeah of course you know utah doesn't have playmakers right. um you know it's got you know it's pretty impressive that they were able to get to 50 wins with this roster um but yeah one more playmaker that they could add i don't know who that would be this offseason doesn't have to be a superstar but just somebody who can be you know your secondary option um yeah i think it go a long way for for raising their ceiling yeah it's interesting too because they're ricky rubio's an expiring contract they signed dante exum to this like three-year deal over the summer so if they're not going to bring back rubio then do you run out i mean oh, make another run at mike conley yeah i, I don't know <laughs> maybe i love it he said he didn't want to play there which is like you're in memphis man like i mean memphis, i would i think memphis is probably better than salt lake city but it's not like you're leaving new york or la to go there it was going i mean he'd still be going to another like strong defensive good team. team yeah, yeah good right. team a, you know the, the grizzlies at that point were obviously not making the playoffs and they're not going to make the playoffs anytime soon um yeah we'll see i mean they'll, they'll certainly be in the market uh is there anything else on on the west that you want to hit on anything from last night anything from these two projected upcoming series before we move on no i don't think so okay i don't really think i have anything else as well sixers beat the nets last night raptors beat the magic almost identical games right um i think when i left the office last night toronto was up like 22 to 3 yeah. over orlando and then i got home in time for the sixers game to start and i think that was like 26 to 4 Is at that, one point yeah. like basically the mirror images of the start uh, these games and neither team really let off the pedal at all i mean it was wire to wire there was no chance either either team was sneaking back into it um especially the sixers i mean this ended up being actually a little bit of a chippy game at the end right. when zanon musa <laughs> finally got in the game and immediately started mixing things up with jonah bolden uh but my, my biggest takeaway from this is like it it kind of feels like the sixers are back as long as Embiid is healthy like they at least have their confidence back which was which was clearly shaken in game one you know ever since then ben simmons has been really good and mm -hmm. when he's been out there has been awesome you know the the knee is going to be hanging over them this entire playoffs you know right. he, he's kind of liable to to be held out of any game really um so to me like that's why that's the main reason i would feel pretty good about taking toronto in round two uh but if, if mb is able to stay healthy and he's at 80 to 90 percent of his effective self i, I think this is going to be a pretty good series yeah same here i think i mean the nets for them the you know, the Sixers have so much size with all the trades that they made that and the Nets are one of the smallest teams in the league. So I think it makes sense that they, you know, the the 76ers at times just looked really dominant over the Nets, like just getting to the rim, shooting threes over people like six inches shorter than them. Um, this series will be more competitive in that sense. Like you have Kawhi Leonard and Siakam and Marcus Gasol is going to give, you know, and beat a hard time. Um, you know, I've. I'm not exactly sure what they'll do with Ben Simmons, but maybe put Danny Green on him. I'm not really sure. I guess yeah, you have well, Danny Green chase up. around I mean, Reddick. I mean, would you even do Siakam? 
Um, or does Siakam go on Butler or Tobias? I mean, he is nice thing about him, and you could make a case he could guard anybody in that right. starting lineup, maybe with the exception of Embiid. But um, I know you have some good Gasol numbers on Joel Embiid. Yeah. So um, in so they Embiid and Gasol played twice this season. Um, in so Embiid had 108 possessions against Gasol. He only took 18 shots for 17 points and he committed seven turnovers uh three offensive fouls um and yeah he just i mean he shot like 33 percent against gasol missed all of his threes just really unaggressive he also only shot 43 percent against uh sergi baka in in those possessions so I mean, this is this is probably a worst case scenario for like Embiid and maybe even the Sixers in general. Like, this might be their worst. I think they would have preferred to play the Magic. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they, I do you think the Raptors would have preferred to play even the Bucks in, uh, over Philly? Uh, no. I mean, do do you think Philly would have preferred to play the Bucks over ra- the Raptors? I mean, do you think oh, that this uh, is maybe a worse matchup yes, for them think, than Milwaukee? I think they, yeah, I think they feel good about their chances against the Bucks. I know there there are a couple of close losses uh, during the regular season, but yeah, I, Toronto's not a good matchup for them, right? And so, yeah, I think this could potentially. I mean, and Embiid's hurt. I mean, so you have you know historically bad numbers against Gasol. Embiid is hurt. Um, I think this could be a really not ideal, you know, not ideal series for him. So I'd be looking for. I mean, Jimmy Butler is really going to have to step up. Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, but I mean, one of those guys is going to have Kawhi Leonard on him, and so now you get into a situation where, let's say, I mean, you have either, you know, you have one of the Sixers' three, you know, scorers, mm-hmm. wing player, wing size players, like probably more or less shut down by Kawhi, and then you have Embiid really struggling against Gasol. Yep, it's going to be, I think, really tough for the 76ers to generate some offense. So these teams have not played since. Gasol came to Toronto, right? Yes. And since Tobias came to Philly, I believe. Um, but for sure not since Gasol's been there. Right. Um, and to go back to what you said, so defensively during the regular season, three matchups, um, Kawhi Leonard was the primary defender by by a decent margin on Ben Simmons. 115 possessions. Next highest was OG Ananobi at 55, and then Siakam at 50 and Danny Green at 36. Okay. So judging from that, it'll be Kawhi on Simmons, Ibaka slash Gasol on Embiid. They basically stuck Danny Green on J.J. Redick for the most yeah. part. Um, and then Siakam primarily defended, you know, he can defend everybody, but they primarily had him on Butler. But again, this was pre-Harris. So sure. I, I almost feel like you'd want him maybe on Harris. You know, Butler has been so, he's just been so, he just floats around, I guess, in yeah, certain that's games. True. I mean, he had a yeah. couple, he had one big game in the series, a, a game three or four. Uh, where he kind of took over against Brooklyn, but he's the guy that that you know. And Harris has disappeared in his own right every now and then, which just comes with the territory of being on a team like this. But I don't think you're necessarily worried about Jimmy Butler killing you as a scorer, right? Yeah, I would I would put Siakam on Harris just mm-hmm. for like he's probably a, I mean he's a good closeout guy. You're so much more worried about Tobias Harris either shooting a three or pump faking and driving than you are Butler, right? Like if you're not. You know, you're not as concerned about getting a, clo- a close out immediately in Butler's grill. Like if you mm-hmm. sag off a little bit away from him to drive, like and he takes a three, like that's a better shot. You know, you want Butler to take threes because he yeah. s- seems to be uncomfortable with doing that. His percentage isn't amazing. I almost wonder if you put Lowry on him. You know, if Butler tries to post up, at least yeah, Lowry, Lowry can hold his own there. You know, probably at least as well, if not better than Danny Green. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, we haven't seen you know the new Philly five against Toronto quite yet, so we don't we don't really have the matchup data for that. But I would imagine they'll go Kawhi on Simmons, which is good and bad in some ways. I mean, it it certainly takes Simmons out of what he can do, but I think if you're Philly, it's it's just a way to kind of get rid of Kawhi and maybe there's some advantage to having him guard the guy who's not a perimeter threat um you know he's right. not blanketing jimmy butler or tobias harris when it comes to getting open looks I, I don't know maybe that's just wishful thinking i'm sure there'll be a lot of switching too i yeah. mean you have i mean that's a that's the point of this whole raptors defense they can switch a ton of different players and so it'll be interesting to see you know what mm-hmm. brett brown tries to do well if they're going to switch on everything and we can't really get these great shots and we can't really feed him beat either because he's not he's struggling then yep I, yeah, I, I don't know where you go. That's the thing. They there is a path to this being a very clean, easy series. Maybe not easy, but a you know a, a series in which Toronto kind of quietly dominates and isn't really all that threatened. And that's Kawhi shutting down Simmons. Easier said than done. But if anybody could do it, it's him. Yeah. And Ibaka and Gasol kind of tag teaming Joel Embiid and, right. and you know baiting him into bad shots. You know, there's there were times, especially in games one and two, when he was playing you know twenty twenty five minutes was clearly limited where he just didn't have the agility you know not many guys his size can can euro step and finish with the touch mm-hmm. that he has but he was kind of bowling over guys and just looked to step slow that cannot be the case like he has to be full Embiid for them to beat yeah. this team uh not that the magic are the greatest opponent in the history of playoff basketball uh but one game one of that series now looks like a massive outlier right? oh yeah I mean, that like toronto whooped orlando in games two through five convincingly uh in this series Kawhi was 28 points a game six and a half rebounds three assists a little over one steal 56 percent from the floor 54 percent from three 14 of 26 and 25 of 28 at the line so if, if they get even a d minus game instead of an f from kyle lowry in game one if this is a, a clean four game sweep and we were not worried about them whatsoever right yeah i remember after game one thinking like well, that was, I can't really imagine the Magic playing any better. No, no, no. And you can't really imagine Kyle Lowry playing any worse. I mean, it's literally almost impossible. So from there on out, you're like, well, okay. I mean, this is, yeah, so it is an outlier. And um, I think, you know, the Raptors are like definitely as good as advertised. Um, and yeah, Kawhi Leonard was just ridiculous. Like his versatility on offense, obviously a good three point shooter. His mid-range game was out of control. I don't have the stats in front of me, but it felt like he just made like 75% of his like 16 to 17 foot jumpers. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are really tough to defend because he's just, you know, one dribble drive, pull up, you got someone on their heels. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you in that, you know, I think the series will be, I think it'll be entertaining, but Raptors in five would not surprise me. No, Sixers in five would. That would, and that's that not, would be that's not exactly a take, shock, but me. right. Like I give a pretty big edge to Toronto here, even even though like on paper, Philly is still probably the more talented team. Like Fred Van Vliet didn't have a great round one series, um, but pretty much everyone else did for Toronto. Like I, I think Kawhi, when he's locked in, I mean, I forget who somebody on, on NBA TV was throwing around the the Jordan comp for him um on a play like a players only telecast a couple nights ago which which is a little strong uh but his i mean his just strength in you know inside the paint like you said he never seems to miss any mid-range jumpers right always squares himself to the hoop um and if he gets a smaller guy pinned on him within five feet of the basket it's just bully ball lay it up i guess yeah in the sense that he's just like a knockdown mid-range shooter knows how to work in the post take advantage of size matchups and played like you know all nba or all you know like defensive player of the year type yeah. defense it's 
I sure you can compare him to Jorgen mm-hmm. in, in that way, just on like a a framework of what that player looks right. like. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like how they play, maybe I mean I haven't you know, obviously didn't watch a ton of Jordan live outside of Wizards Jordan. Like right. in terms in terms of their playing style, the modern NBA, like there might not be a better comp just because yeah. you know Kawhi doesn't rely on the three point shot by any means. You know, doesn't have a ridiculous handle; just has a very clean, solid handle. Right. Um, and obviously Jordan did so much of his work in the mid range, drawing fouls, finishing inside. Um, so game one of that series. Unfortunately for us, being you know having somewhat of a, a rooting interest in the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, game one of Toronto and Philly gets the Saturday night slot, and the Bucks are now slated to play at noon local time, one Eastern on Sunday, which isn't ideal, but could be worse. I know a lot of people were worried about Game of Thrones. Uh, it does go head to head with the NASCAR race though on mm. Sunday at Talladega. Okay, so we'll see if that impacts the viewership numbers. Uh, we can talk about this Bucks series a little bit. Uh, quickly review the Detroit series. This was second largest sweep margin in the seven-game era. I think it was plus 95. Is that right? I think the other one was Orlando beat, I think, Atlanta in like 2009 or 2010, uh, the Dwight years. Uh, but this was games three and four. I guess Detroit put in a, a pretty solid effort. I mean, the Bucks yeah. were down in game three. Were they down at halftime in game four, too? I don't remember. If not, it was close. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, thorough domination through the first eight quarters of the series and the last two quarters of games three and four really leaving no doubt whatsoever. I would say it played out about as expected. You know, I mean, you, you can say maybe maybe Detroit finds a way to steal a game if Blake is fully healthy for all four, but right. he played pretty well. I mean, he was clearly hobbled, and, yes. you know, it was a, I don't know, heroic's probably a little too strong, but he it was it was a performance, and he certainly didn't hurt them. And, he, and they no. still, you know, and they still were really nowhere close to actually winning that game. So, um. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a dominating series by Milwaukee. Detroit, I, I thought the the most, I wouldn't say alarming, but if you watch the series, this isn't all that surprising considering how many of these Andre Drummond missed. But Basketball Reference has the Pistons as shooting 48% from zero to three feet for the series. 48%, basically at the rim. Uh, by comparison, Golden State is shooting 81% from that range in their series against the Clippers. Andre Drummond was not good. Bad. Um, he shot 44% for the series, and he shot 43% from the free throw line. Um, I mean, this is only his second playoffs, but he did not. I mean, he is. it's so clear that he is not an offensive player. He can't be your number two option. He can't really be your number three option. I mean, he has to be your number four offensive guy, and he, they're not paying him like a he's a he's a great rebounder um an elite rebounder you know who else is a good rebounder ed davis true um but when you're playing a guy when you're paying a guy like andre drummond all-star money and listen he's made two all-star games i should he have um <laughs> I will not, i'm gonna play the fifth on that one um it's just the the ceiling on your team is is only so high yeah 27 million next year and then a healthy 29 million dollar player option for mm. 2021 which he's actually in the position to maybe turn that down i i wouldn't if i were him I, I wouldn't but either. he is still super young he's 25 so it's kind of in that range where you know the rare range where you could turn down a 29 million dollar option and instead try to lock up you know four for 80 something like that some team out there will pay him i mean the numbers are really really good like the you know his regular season numbers like you said rebounding has some value a lot of players in the league have have kind of skated by on that, but I mean, he was a complete non-factor 
in the series, a complete negative. Um, I just, I just feel like he's, he, every shot that he takes that isn't like immediately off an offensive rebound. I think he's going to miss every single one of them. Like when yeah. they post him up and he takes a hook, it's, it's yep. so ugly. I think his free throw, I mean, his field goal percentage was 53% this year. It would have been so much higher if he had just, if they just didn't post him up. If he was right. like clearly, if he was just a pick and roll guy, if he was just an offensive rebound, put it back up guy and right. was not a, a post up player, I think his percentage would be higher. I think he actually arguably be more valuable, yeah. but he just needs to get on a team where that, where posting up Andre Drummond isn't. It's not their game plan because they don't. They have other options. Fifty three percent for a guy with that size and that athleticism is horrible, right? I mean, it, DeAndre Jordan, you know, is kind of a somewhat of a comparison. Yeah, I think Drummond's a little more agile offensively, and even though he's not a great post up player, he can do it. To, he can do it better than Jordan ever could. Um, and DeAndre Jordan was shooting basically seventy percent from the field for his peak years, right? And you know, most pick and roll centers like Capella is always up there too. I mean, you, it's not crazy to get into the mid to high sixties. And I, I think to to some degree the issue is that he doesn't have Chris Paul or James Harden, sure, yes. you know, to feed him the ball and no, get him those looks. He has Reggie Jackson and Langston Galloway, Ish Smith, yeah, right. And like I, I think ideally he could function like that if he had the right guards, but they almost need him to to do those kind of things because they have no other options. Like that was the biggest takeaway as someone who didn't watch a ton of Pistons basketball this year, and this wasn't a surprise really, but. You know, without Blake, especially, they just have no playmaking. And we talked about this with Utah. It's the same story, if not worse, I think, for for Detroit. You know, the amount of Reggie Jackson pull-ups. You yeah. know, Luke Kennard came to play for most of the series. But Kennard was actually good. He was really good. Games yeah. one through three, especially. Um, got blocked a few times pretty badly in game four. But, you know, Langston Galloway, Wayne Ellington, Ish, Ish Smith was okay. He also got blocked a few times. But guys like that, like those are your second playmakers. You know, when when Blake's out and Reggie Jackson doesn't have the ball, you know, it's either dump it down to Drummond or let one of those guys make a play. So I think if you're the Bucks, you know, and, and they certainly were, uh, just kind of happy to to pick your poison between those two. Yeah, I mean Blake is so integral to their team. Like he he has to play. Like I, I mean, because theoretically, yeah. like he's their point guard, and then you surround him with yep. shooters and. So if it's he's kind of Harden esque almost. I mean, he's clearly not Harden, but like the way they the, use oh, the, him. Yeah. Like if you took Harden away from Houston, you know, obviously they have CP, and that's the difference. Is you know, right? Detroit doesn't have another option when Blake is not himself. Um, Celtics Pacers. I this is the series I probably watched the least of. They kept playing early. You know, that's like true. Driving or something, and just didn't want to watch. Uh, but I, the same thing I wrote about um, in my notes for the Sixers. I wrote about the Celtics. They're kind of back all of a sudden. Didn't it wasn't as as impressive I guess as a, of a performance as Philly who had some like big quarters and big halves in that series. Celtics just grinded out four very similar wins. You know, every single game it felt like it was tied for three quarters of the game, and then Boston just kind of flexed this muscle and Indiana wilted in the fourth. Um, the numbers aren't very impressive. Celtics put up a one hundred four point two offensive rating for the series, that is slightly worse than the Knicks offensive rating for the season. The Knicks were last in the league um of course though you're going up against you're playing four games against one of the best defenses in the league indiana was third in defensive rating during the regular season um and it was an uglier series on both ends you know obviously the the offensive rating for the pacers was worse than boston um so it's kind of a did the celtics just play really good defense and muck it up or were the pacers just you know did the did the did boston just not play that well and the pacers played worse right and I mean, you mentioned how how bad their offensive rating was, which I think is the you know I mean that's that's a better indication of 
you know, I guess the series. I mean, the pace, so the, the the Pacers are third in the league in in defensive rating. Yep. But the Bucks are first, right. and so now if you if you're the Celtics and you just struggled, you know, that much against the right. Pacers. There's no like I'm sure the Celtics will score more points per game because it's oh, a faster yeah. pace. But, but yeah. is it realistic for us to expect that the Celtics are going to play like all of a sudden like turn it on offensively? Right. Because the you know I mean the 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 Bucks have basically just go defense as the Pacers, and I still think it'll be an interesting series because the I mean the Celtics and the Bucks have the se- the regular season series was close. The Bucks won two of the three games, but total points they're only up ten. It was plus ten for the right. Bucks, and Eric Bledsoe, a really bad against the Celtics again in the regular season. I look, I was doing some writing. Eighteen fantasy points a game. Um, he took nine shots a game and dished three assists in the regular season series um, against the Celtics. Brogdon was the Bucks' their best player. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'll be coming back, but I I do even as a Bucks fan, I have some concerns that this series yep. is not going to be easy it'll be a grind out probably yep. my guess would be six games no i agree with all that and we should say you know if, if you're not super familiar with advanced numbers like the point of offensive and defensive rating is to standardize for pace so right. it's not you know that was a super slow series between boston and indiana but that doesn't mean that the offensive rating is any different um you know so i think your point that you know they went up against a good defense but they are going up against what now is what the numbers say is a better defense in milwaukee Mm -hmm. so you can't just assume that all of a sudden the offense will come around uh but like you said the point totals will be significantly higher in this series i i I agree with you that all the numbers point to to milwaukee you know they should win the series you know they've clearly been the better team they've been by far the more consistent team they have the best player but it's just kind of like this intangible you know ray of doubt that i have in my mind not that the bucks won't win the series but that it won't be as easy as the like the statistics imply that it should be um although we should say vegas is is very very much in favor of the bucks in this series that it started off as bucks by seven and a half for game one it's now up to bucks by eight uh, i saw series prices at celtics plus 240 bucks minus 300 which is a pretty big disparity considering how close i think this this is in the public eye right um and then in terms of, you know, how Vegas views this, um, you know, how, how it'll finish, the most likely outcome if the Celtics win the series would be the Celtics in six, which I think makes sense, you know, because the Bucks do have home court this time around so that they would be closing it out at home. Uh, but the most likely outcomes overall are almost all Bucks winning. You know, Bucks winning in four has the same likelihood, according to Vegas, as the Celtics winning in six. Yeah, I can't, to me. Can't, I can't get behind that. No, I. If you told me one of those two was going to happen, I would say Celtics in six for sure. Right. Yeah. I, I, to to for this to be a sweep would be like really surprising. Like I, I just the Celtics are they're actually a good team. Mm-hmm. Like you know they have their chemistry issues. The record wasn't as good as everybody thought. Whatever. But they are. I mean, this it would be. I want to say a monumental sweep, but it would be a. I mean, I that it, would confidence wise it would be yeah i mean it would be a shock i would be shocked and i think yes. that would be an appropriate reaction for everybody so the fact that bucks in four is six to one is really surprising yeah yeah i mean it's tough to say it, it could be one of those situations where all of a sudden like let's say the bucks just blow out the celtics in games one and two and you know all of a sudden we're looking back like why did we think the celtics would win this series they haven't been good all year they weren't that good in round one you know like they're that narrative like wouldn't shock me if that's what happened but yeah a sweep would be for as shaky as the Celtics have been all year, even though they're without Smart, um, that yeah, that would be completely shocking. I think 
I mean, if I had to, like six games seems right. I think the Bucks would win in six, but then it's also hard for me to think that they would win in Boston. But seven games feels like too much, and five games feels like too right. few. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe Bucks in five is is the more informed pick. I think that's the most. I think that's the the most likely yep. total uh, scenario overall. That it's five to two, and I think mm-hmm. that's. I, I mean, I would do five or six for Bucks, but um, even Bucks in five would that would surprise me. I don't know. It's weird. I feel weird being so low on the Bucks. Maybe it's just, just watching last optimism. year. Yeah. Cautious optimism. Right. Um, so what's the biggest factor in this series? Is it Brogdon coming back? Is it Bledsoe trying to redeem himself? Um, is it something, you know, with Boston? Like what what is ultimately going to swing how this series turns out? I mean, I think it's the combination of Bledsoe and Brogdon. I think that for the Bucks is just really it's what it comes down to because if, if Bledsoe disappears again and it historically speaking, he probably will. I mean, like we look at the stats. Two games. Yeah. And we look at the stats from this year. He hasn't played very well, not really aggressive. And if Brogdon comes back and isn't healthy, you know, can only play 15 or 20 minutes, his wins not there, he gets re-hurt or he doesn't play at all. Then, you know, I mean, I, George Hill's a good player. Pat Connington's a good player, but how much do you really trust those guys you know, and the Celtics are going to throw everything they have at Giannis. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sure Middleton will do fine, but um, it'll be tough. And the, you know, the the Bucks have tried playing the Celtics like differently. Like they just let Al Horford shoot from three. Like he's averaging eight and a half three point attempts mm-hmm. against the Bucks this season. Um, has really just dominated the matchup against Brook Lopez. So. Um, you know, if I had to, I guess three key players would be Bledsoe, Brogdon, and Horford for me. Like, I think this series could shake yep. out. You know, the length of the series could is ultimately, in my opinion, dictated by those three yeah. guys. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they continue that strategy. I, I can't see them going away from it now. You know, it, it would be. I think something would have to force them to change it. I don't think they would do it organically. Um, but no, I'm with you. I think those are all good points. Um, I don't. I don't know that they need peak Brogdon to win the series. I think Brogdon right. has to be pretty good. He can't be a negative, obviously. Um, but you know, with with Boston missing Smart, especially, I feel like that it does cancel out to some degree. I think Brogdon means more to Milwaukee than Smart does to Boston, just because Boston has more depth and experience. Um, but him being out, you know, kind of does change things quite a bit for me. I would be a little nervous if I'm a Bucks fan that you know they relied heavily on Connaughton and Sterling Brown in round one partially because they had to because tony snell really wasn't there and and brogdon obviously was out um and part of it too is you know a lot of these were blowouts and you know guys who are seven eight nine on the roster were playing more than they normally would but can you depend on pat Connaughton to shoot 64 percent from the field you know he's 16 of 25 from the field he had 27 rebounds in that series he had more rebounds than brooke lopez in the series uh, against Detroit, can you count on Sterling Brown to go almost sixty percent from the field, fifty six percent from beyond the arc? Um, you know, we're talking—we're not talking about huge sample sizes here, but it did seem like just about everybody played about as well as they could for the Bucks in round one. And part of that is, you know, you're just going up against an inferior opponent. Um, you know, maybe maybe Miritich, I guess, could have hit a few more shots if you want to be picky. But it does seem like things went about as well as possible in round one, which is how you want things to go. You know, you wouldn't have it any other way, but. Will they be ready for you know this massive step up in in level of competition uh, that is Boston compared to Detroit? Right, and yeah, the Miritich factor is interesting too because we still haven't really seen. 
because he's, he's coming back from a broken thumb. We haven't really seen Bugenholzer play around with the like Miritich Sanger lines very much. We just haven't had an opportunity yeah. to see that much. Well, they never needed to go to it either. Not yeah, they, it, it hasn't felt entirely necessary. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how you know maybe it'll dictate throughout the matchup. But he didn't seem Miritich still doesn't seem very comfortable in the in the first round. So um, I, I think he's an interesting factor, but I can't. It's hard to say he's like a key to the series at this point because it doesn't even feel like he's like played for the team really. No, it's um, been a while. Yeah. All right, uh, we do have to get out of here pretty quickly. Is there anything else going on around the league that you want to talk about? I mean, the Lakers fired a coach. Said coach is well, now the, in, under investigation for sexual assaults. The Suns fired Igor. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just snuck that one in a couple nights ago. That you, that felt necessary. You know, yeah. I think when they hired him and then didn't draft Doncic. That was strange. Right. Like nothing added just, up about that. Yeah. I, I don't. You know, neither of us are obviously privy to the inner workings of the Suns, but you just like I feel like it was never a good thing that we heard nothing about him the entire year. You know? Yeah, I didn't like, hear. I didn't yeah, hear any no stories, no yeah, players. Nobody ever endorsed him. Like it just seemed <laughs> like he was it. it and I, I'm saying this mostly because I think he just looks like David Blatt, but it seemed like that. I could totally see that being the case behind the scenes for them. Right. You know, young team, you know, none of those guys know who that guy is. You know, there's no, right. there's not a, much of a pedigree there in the NBA. Uh, so yeah, them, you know, honestly, if you're going to hit the reset button at some point, you might as well do it earlier rather than later. But well, it's, it's strange too, because Blatt basically got fired because he was on such a good team that nobody trusted him. And now Kokoskov got fired because he was on, yeah. at, least, at least with this theory, the team was so bad or so young that they didn't respect him. Yeah. And so where is the where where is the place that these like European star coaches right. can get hired? Is it like a you know like the Bucks or you the Pistons? The Pistons fire Casey and hire right. you know David Blatt. Like what's the yeah what's the mm-hmm. what's the range that they can? Well, exist I have three in? words for the Phoenix Suns: Jeff Van Gundy. Mm-hmm. I would love that actually. He I would mean, whip that those would, guys into shape. That would be incredible. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's just do some picks quick. Um, what's your official Bucks Celtics pick for round two? That is Bucks in six. Bucks in six. And that it's weird. That's you know, like I said, my pick as well. <coughs> Several people have asked me for that. And like I have to say, like, I'm not saying this ironically. Like Bucks no, in six yeah, is a I real mean. pick now. Like, <laughs> I, I actually made a point to to say in a couple of texts, like Milwaukee in six. So people can't <laughs> can't make fun of it. Um okay. Philly Toronto. I'm gonna go Toronto in five. I'm really confident about this one. Maybe too confident, but I think yeah. I'm going to do the same, and I hate to be Oof. a copycat, but I'm I'm going to say the same thing. I feel really good about Toronto. Um, the Embiid thing, the defense. Right. I the just, way you put it earlier is like Toronto in five wouldn't surprise you, but Philly in five would be a shock. Right. Like that's that's the best way to view this series. Where like on paper, it should be closer than it is, but I just don't think Philly has the depth, and they just seem too, too kind of wild game to game. Yeah. Um, well, how does the rest of this Denver-San Antonio series go? We'll start with that. I think Denver's going to pull it out. I I was okay. I thought San Antonio was going to do it. Now I I'm yep. I'm flip-flopping. Okay. Um and I'm with you like I said before. So who wins Portland in this hypothetical Denver series? I think it's Denver. Uh and I would pick Denver. I think Denver in 7. Okay. 6 or 7. That one definitely goes 6 or 7 to me. Yeah. I'll 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 go contrarian and say Portland in 7. Okay. In that one. I think that'd be a really really fun series. And then, assuming this is what we get after tonight's games, Houston-Golden State? I'm going Golden State in six. Okay. I'll go Golden State in five. Oh, wow. Okay. Playoffs, player, turn up, player, cinco, cuatro, tres, dos, uno. It's going now. Playoffs. I'm having to know. You better move. Turn up. 
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.